listening to the Sojourn Montrose Sermon Podcast. To get connected at Sojourn Montrose, visit our website, sojournmontrose.org. Well, good morning. Peace be with you. It's almost as if the author was trying to write the word circumcised as many times as they possibly could so that Claire would have to say that word over and over again. Um, Glad to be with you. My name is Reed. I'm one of the pastors here. It's my joy to welcome you to Sojourn Montrose this morning. Um, And yes, that's our text. Um, A couple things first, though. If you weren't with us just right at the beginning of the gathering, we would love to connect with you. Um, A couple ways to do that. One, the map to my right, your left, is a great place to meet some of our staff and talk about the neighborhood parishes, our communities that are meeting throughout the week. Further, Cole mentioned that membership class that's coming up on the 25th. We would love for you to be there and learn about what it means to be a member at Sojourn Montrose and um, get to know us in that way. Um, And further, we're just glad that you're here on on Sunday. Um, And as you heard Claire just read, we continue our sermon series through the narrative of Abraham in, uh, and now in the season of Lent. And today, it's the first time since we started this in January that Abram has gotten a new name, the name that we all know him by more famously, Abraham. And so that happens this morning. And we know that when the Bible changes somebody's name, it doesn't change that name lightly. Name changes in the Bible tend to accompany some shift in mission or commitment or narrative or promise. And so this morning, we we didn't see a new promise being made to Abram, now Abraham. But God comes and reaffirms Abraham of a promise we've heard spoken a few times in the narrative now. But now that fulfillment of the promise is very, very near, so near that God makes a few things more permanent. Not only the... um, the, the circumcision in the foreskin, but he names the child and gives them a date within the year. Um, so we get a, a couple things that um, are bringing this covenant, not, not becoming some far off promise that God might fulfill in Abram, now Abraham's life, but now it's real, it's present, it's right before Abram. And so we see God and Abram dialogue about this covenant um, and we see Abram's response. Well, let me pray for us, and then we're going to look at this text in, in a little more detail together and see what's really going on um, with this covenant and this sign. Father, we, um, we love you. We pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, make difficult texts or awkward texts or confusing texts, I think, uh, in, in a lot of ways, Lord. Would you make them um, understandable? W- would we understand your covenant promise, your love your generosity, your graciousness, your truth, your, your firm foundation that you establish promises with uh, men and women, and when you do, they will, not, uh, they will not be forgotten. And so I pray that these things would settle into our hearts more deeply this morning. Would you be with us by your word? Would you use my mouth to speak your truth and nothing but that truth? Um, yeah, regardless of how we've come in this morning, whether we're tired or anxious or excited or happy or fulfilled or wanting, I pray that you would meet us in a text like this on a morning like this where we sing your praise together, Lord. Would you be with us by your spirit? We know you are. Make that peace known to us and will we rest in your word. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so if you weren't here last week, we saw that Abram and Sarai last week had devised this plan to speed up God's promises 
Abram, um, Sarai tells Abram, why don't you impregnate my servant Hagar, and that way you can bear a son, we'll name him Ishmael, and, and that way God's promise to make you a nation will come to fruition. But we also saw last week that, that, is, that Ishmael is not the, the child that God promised to Abram. In fact, God is now going to make clear what was implied and known by Abram and Sarai the whole time, that this child will come through his barren wife, Sarai. There is no other way that the nation and people of God will come about through Abraham other than through his wife. And so God is going to bless Abram and make him a great nation through his wife, Sarai, and no other way. And so 13 years have passed, we're told. The, the boy Ishmael is now 13 years, and Abram has now reached the, the young old age of 99. Sarah is 90, and once again, the Lord is coming and appearing before Abram and, and uh, reiterating these promises that he's made to him. But now Abram, in his old age, is more confused and a little bit uh, we, we just find him in a different position in his old age in front of God and God's promises. But I would make the case that he's not doubting that God's promises will come to fruition. He's just very confused of the how these promises will come to fruition. His wife is 90. She's barren. He's 99. What, what is God doing? Let's read again um, really quick. I'll, I'll skip around. I won't read all of this text that Claire read, but I, I do think it's important that all of it was read. Um, it says this, chapter 17, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I, God Almighty, El Shaddai, walk bef- I am him, walk before me and be blameless that I might make a covenant between you and me and multiply you greatly. And Abram fell on his face and God said, my covenant is with you. You'll be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I've made you the father of a multitude of nations. You'll be fruitful. Kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant with you and your offspring, and I will give you the land of your sojournings, the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So remember, the promise is that through Abram, a nation would be made, a land will be given, a family will be blessed, and they will be the people of God. God will dwell with them. He's reiterating that promise with them. He's telling Abram that through your lineage, king, there will be great kings over this, this people, um, and that with this family's blessing, they in turn will be charged to bless the nations. We'll see that theme over and over again in Genesis and Exodus in the Old Testament. And then God tells Abram that... Um, well, he, he tells him your name will be something else. Your name will be Abraham, which means not only father. Abram means father, but father of great nations, multitude, Abraham. And then God tells him um, about this covenant sign for circumcision in the verses that we haven't read yet. Um, but we're going to get to that. I want to, um, I want to skip down to verse 15 and see how Abram and God dialogue about this um, this reaffirmation of the covenant. God said, verse 15, it says this, and God said to Abram, or Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you will not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings will come from her. And Abraham fell on his face still and laughed. And he said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 99 year old, be now, 99 years old, bear a child. And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, which means laughter. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. So God, um, 
Again, he's reaffirmed his covenant promises to Abraham. He's reaffirmed that this promise will come through a son that is born to Abram. Now Abraham through his wife Sarai, now Sarah, which means princess. And so Abraham, being 99 years old, laughs and falls on his face at this claim. And, and he's not, again, he's not, um, he's not getting a new promise at this point. But in verse 15, we do get this further clarification God says that through Sarah, which now means, that name means princess, from her will come nations and kings. And God speaks what has been implied, that through Sarah, his wife, though she is 90, a child will be born. And God does something else. He names the child Isaac, which I mentioned means laughter in the Hebrew, because both Abraham and Sarah will laugh at this News. It's audacious, right? Abraham's response to God implies as much. Shall a child be born to me, a man that is 99, and a woman who is 90? And he gives a counter proposal to God. Oh, that Ishmael might live before you, meaning, God, why don't you use this other son, my half, my, my full child, Sarah's not child, Hagar's child, why don't you use this child to fulfill your promises to me? And the question I want us to grapple with for a moment is, does Abraham doubt God in this moment? Does he doubt God's promise? And I think the answer is no. Abraham is on his face in front of God, but I don't think he's questioning whether or not God will do what he said. I think he's questioning the way that God will accomplish what he has said he will do. Abraham is saying, I don't see it happening this way. I'm 99. I'll be 100. Sarah's 90. We've waited our whole lives. I don't, want to, I don't want to say that this promise isn't going to happen because the author of Rome, or Paul in Romans is going to tell us that Abraham doesn't doubt God's promises here, so we can't go there, and I'm going to read that in a moment. But, um, but I do think Abraham is doubting the why or the how. How is this going to happen? And I do have a son, God. Oh, that you would use him to fulfill these promises. And I think this is a moment... If Abraham is not doubting God's plan in this moment, I think it's a moment like Jesus that we encounter with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. In the garden, Jesus asks God in prayer, let this cup pass from me, meaning, is there another way for the salvation of the world? Is there another way for the redemption of the world to come to fruition? Is there another way for your promises and plan to come about, Father, but not your will, uh, not my will, but yours be done is how Jesus finishes that. So Jesus, in that moment, doesn't sin. He doesn't doubt the plan of the Father. Him and the Father are one, fully united in the plan of redemption. And simultaneously, without sinning in righteousness, Jesus invites the Father to assure him of the plan of salvation, to assure him of the plan of redemption, to assure him, and he, and he Jesus, we see, will rest in that plan in that moment, though he is anxious and wrought with fear over the death that is coming. He does not doubt God's goodness. Not your will, my will, but yours be done, Father. I think a similar thing is happening. Abraham is not doubting God's plan. He's not doubting God's goodness, but he asks God to see if the same promise can be realized through another means. How will I have a child, Abraham asks. How will Sarah conceive? She's 90. And this question is kind of what leads to the covenant sign of circumcision. Because God doesn't answer the question, no, here's how it'll happen. I'm going to work a miracle, and she's going to get pregnant, and even though she's old and you're old, I'm still going to make this happen. God doesn't answer 
the question of how with a explanation of how. Instead, God says this, no, this will happen. No, this will happen. Sarah will bear a son. His name will be Isaac. It will happen within the year. I will establish my covenant with him. He will be a great, fruitful, and multiplying nation. So God doesn't get angry at Abraham's question. God gets clear. God speaks truth. Abraham questions the how this will happen, and God's answer is, the how is up to me. Let me, let me be clear with you. No, Sarah, Isaac, your lineage. And then God gives a covenant reminder to Abraham, and that reminder is circumcision. So circumcision, think of the word circum meaning circumference, so a circle, incision meaning incision, a cut. So cut a circle around the reproductive organ of the male. Circumcision is a, uh, a sign and seal of the covenant promises that God has made with Abraham, which means circumcision is a sacrament in the Old Testament. So you, you probably know that word we call baptism and the Lord's Supper sacraments. Um, sacraments are signs or signals or things or rituals that point to covenant promises that God has made with his people. And so sacraments not only represent in a symbolic way a covenant, they also seal the covenant. That's why we say every week when we take communion that that our faith is signed and sealed in this sacrament. They seal, they shore up, they, they confirm, they make firm, they promise, they, um, they make the seal of the covenant unbreakable. And in this case, they make the covenant skin deep, right? In the case of circumcision. And so sacraments in the Old Testament and the New Testament, they perfectly sign and seal the covenant promises that they are associated with. I'm gonna give you a couple examples. One is the rainbow, the rainbow is a sacrament for the covenant of Noah. It's a sign of the covenant of Noah. The rainbow signals a few things. One, it signals that God will never destroy again the world entire. Its shape is that of a bow, which is a weapon hung in the sky. It's a weapon set aside by God. He will never again point his weapon at the earth. Instead, he sets his bow aside, and it's a rainbow. It's all the colors, meaning this covenant is with the world entire. The nations, the colors of the nations. So the rainbow acts as this perfect covenant sign or sacrament, and it comes when it rains, right? Which we know is a result of the flood of the earth. Another one in the Old Testament, another sacrament, is the Passover meal. The Passover meal is meant to remind the Jewish people of their freedom from slavery in Egypt and the covenant God made with them through Moses to bless them so that they might bless the nations, God gives them the land of promise and the law as a blessing. And so in the Passover meal that the people do every year, they remember the promises of God. They remember the covenant that God made with them, that they are his beloved and protected people who he has saved and delivered through blood, the Passover reminds them, right? Remember in Egypt when um, the Israelites put blood on their doorposts, the blood of a lamb, so that God would pass over them, right? It's a sacrament. It's a sign and seal of the covenant. Or think about it this way, a non-biblical sacrament. Um, the Roman Catholic Church calls uh, marriage a sacrament, but marriage does not sign and seal a covenant. Marriage is a covenant, right? So marriage is, I, I would argue, mislabeled by the Roman, church, Roman Catholic Church as a sacrament because marriage is the covenantal vow between two parties that make a vow in front of witnesses to be true to one another. And there's multiple other, to, in sickness and in health, to death to us part, right? 
Marriage does not sign and seal a covenant. Marriage is a covenant. So what is the sacrament of marriage? What is the sign and seal of marriage? It's a, it's a wedding ring, right? What does a wedding ring do? It, it tells all of you that, that I'm married, that I've made a covenant, right? This isn't a biblical practice. Marriage isn't a mandate in the Bible, nor is using a wedding ring a mandate in the Bible. But it's a cultural sacrament. It's, this is a sign that I have made a vow to somebody. I've made a covenant to somebody, and it, it signs the, the vow pretty well, right? It's, a, it's an outward sign. It communicates that I've made a vow, but it's also a never-ending loop. It's a circle, which is associated with the never-ending vow that I've made in marriage. So the idea of a symbolic and physical representation of a covenant is biblical, and it's biblically represented in sacraments that God has with those he makes a covenant. So back to circumcision, before we get to baptism and the Lord's Supper, Why is circumcision given as the covenant sign? Well, Abraham is struggling to believe that through his reproduction, his offspring will become a great nation. So God gives Abraham a constant and permanent reminder. The actual word that is used here in the Hebrew is God cuts a covenant with Abraham. He cuts a covenant with Abraham. This is what it says in verse 9. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring, after you throughout generations. This is my covenant. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between you and me for eight days old among all the children. Eight days old among you will be circumcised. Every male throughout generations born of your house or also bought with your money or any foreigner who is among you shall be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh as an everlasting covenant. Circumcision is so significant as a sign and seal of God's covenant with Abraham that God calls circumcision the covenant itself. This is similar to Paul in the New Testament saying, baptism saves you, right? Are they saying that circumcision is the covenant? Is he saying that baptism does save us? No, circumcision and baptism are signs of the salvation of God, the covenant promises of God. So it's not the covenant itself, circumcision, but it is a perfect sign for Abraham of what God is going to do, that through reproduction, that through Abraham and Sarah, God will make Abraham into a nation. Through one child, the child of laughter, God will create a new nation that blesses the nations. So circumcision signs and seals the covenant promise made by God to Abraham. The Old Testament covenants are gracious covenants, and they point to and find their ultimate fulfillment in a covenant called the New Covenant, which is the covenant that we have in Jesus. The Old Testament calls this a better covenant. The New Testament calls it a better covenant. This covenant is spoken about in various places in the Old Testament throughout, but particularly this covenant is given weight in Jeremiah 31. Here Jeremiah notes that the Old Covenant people have been historically unfaithful to the covenant. They have placed their faith not in God or Yahweh, but in the things of the world, particularly other idols, but also in power and, um, and, and notoriety and fame and things like that. This is what Jeremiah 31, 33 says of the new covenant. Uh, It says this, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The new covenant promises, uh, it goes on further to promise the forgiveness of sins through the work of God. So the new covenant promises that the law will be written on the hearts of the covenant people, 
that the covenant people will know God in a personal and relational way, that the real and lasting forgiveness of sins will be provided once and for all for God, and that God will dwell among his people. We know further now that this new covenant was inaugurated by Jesus himself. These covenant promises are realized for those who come to faith in Christ. So for those of us in Jesus, our sins are forgiven by God. We know God in a personal way, and the law of God is written on our hearts as the Holy Spirit calls and convicts and sanctifies us. So God has inaugurated or or begun and established and sealed his new covenant that through Jesus is available to us. And we learn in the New Testament that this this covenant has two signs, not just one, The two sacraments of the covenant, the new covenant, are one of entrance, baptism, and one of renewal, the Lord's Supper. Baptism signs and seals our entrance into God's people. What promises are signed and sealed in baptism? Forgiveness of sins. Our sins are washed away in the water. We go from death to life. In the water, we have been born again. Our sin before God is no more. The old man goes to death. The new man is now alive. Baptism, then, is this perfect sign of our entrance into God's people. It corresponds perfectly with the washing of sin, the dying to old self, the rising of new, clean from sin in the eyes of God. This is why the New Testament says that um, baptism corresponds with our entrance into God's people, and it makes the argument that Uh, that baptism corresponds to circumcision, right? Because in the Old Testament, circumcision marked this entrance into God's covenant people, and now baptism marks this entrance into God's covenant people. Or think about what communion signs and seals as a sacrament. What promises? Well, it's it's a reminder that the body and blood of Christ, that his sacrifice has not only saved us, but also sustains us. That we'll, it will nourish us. We will grow spiritually like food grows us physically. And it will, uh, his sacrifice will satisfy our thirst like wine does physically. And the meal marks uh, the promise of a wedding feast. Just like baptism corresponds to circumcision, communion corresponds with the Passover meal. Both are meals of remembrance regarding what God has done and the sacrifice that it took to bring us from death to life, from slavery to freedom. So this is why the new, covenant, or the new Covenant sacraments perfectly sign and seal the promises of God in Christ. Just like this sacrament, the sacrament sign, the covenant sign of circumcision, perfectly signs the promise of God to Abraham that you will bear a son through reproduction with your wife. Do not forget that, God tells Abraham. And further, um, another point on the New Covenant The New Covenant talks about a new circumcision for the people of God. It talks about the circumcision of the heart. Deuteronomy 30 um, is one of the first places that the Old Testament talks about this New Covenant idea, but it says this in in Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, And the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul that you may live. The distinction is this, circumcision was an outward physical sign of a covenant, but outward signs don't save, right? Sacraments do not save. In fact, Abraham is not saved by circumcision. God makes a covenant with Abraham well before God gives Abraham the covenant sign of circumcision, right? The Israelites are freed from Egypt well before God gives them the law and gives them the Passover meal as a sign of their covenant, 
Abraham is justified and saved by his obedience, not, not by his obedience to God and God's commands, rather by his faith, by his faith in God, by his trust in God, by his belief that God will do what God promised. Read with me in Romans 4, um, verse 9. This is just good, clear theology from the New Testament. It doesn't actually need that much unpacking because it's, it's understandable. And it's truth regarding how Abraham is made righteous, which in turn tells us how we are made righteous. This is Romans 4, verse 9. It says this, Is this blessing, salvation, then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before he had been circumcised, or was it after? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the side. Well, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but also who walk in the footsteps of faith that our father Abraham had been, had been walking before he was circumcised. So in other words, Paul in Romans is saying Abraham is not saved because he obeys God and, and takes upon himself and his family the covenant sign of circumcision. No, rather his faith and those who followed walking in the footsteps of his faith is what saves them. Faith made them righteous, not their obedience. Skipping to verse 20. No unbelief made Abraham waver concerning the promise of God. He grew up strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. This is why faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for him alone. Hear this, church. The words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So what is counted to us? Righteousness by faith, not by works, not by obedience. How are we saved? Not by works, not by sacraments, but by faith in God and his promises. By faith in Jesus. Just like Abraham was saved, by faith in God and his promises. We, we know that as Abraham receives this covenant sign and the, the reestablishment of these covenant promises or reaffirmation or whatever you want to call it, um, we get this in chapter 17, verse 22. It says, when he had finished talking to God, um, when he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham and Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house and all those bought for money, every slave or servant or foreigner, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day as God had said to him. All the men of his house, those born in his house, and those bought with money from a foreigner were circumcised. This is the first time this covenant sign, the covenant sign of circumcision, is applied to the people of God in the Old Testament. It's the establishment of the covenant people of God. Here are the people whom the covenant sign applies to. Therefore, this is the people with whom the covenant is with. And get this, ethnically, only Abraham and Ishmael are part of the ethnic family. They're the only Hebrews present. And Ishmael is only half ethnically of the lineage of Abraham, which means something significant, that, that the people of God, since the foundation of the people of God, have been from many nations, 
And the one unity that they have is that they follow the footsteps of faith in the Lord. All the men in Abraham's house, all the foreigners, all the sojourners, they all get the sign of the covenant. The promises of God are for them. They had faith. They walked in the footsteps of faith that Abraham, their adopted father, had walked. And therefore, the covenant sign applies to them now, not because they're just trying to be obedient and win their way into heaven. No, righteousness is counted to them, not based on ethnicity, but on their faith. God is going to make an ethnic nation through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. However, here in Genesis and all throughout the Old Testament, particularly in, um, in Exodus, when Moses receives the law at Mount Sinai, there is always going to be a path for those not born in the ethnic lineage of Abraham to become Israelites, to become covenant people. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, anyone who has faith in God can be part of the people of God. That's good news for us. Abraham is our father in the faith. That's why we say, Father Abraham had many sons. Through his covenant, a better one came, right? The the covenant that God makes with Abraham is simply a shadow of the actual perfect new covenant that we have in Christ Jesus. This new covenant has two sacraments, one of entrance and one of remembrance and renewal. But remember, those sacraments don't save us. Jesus saves us. Faith that he he is who he said he is and did what he said he did, that saves us. Now, just like for Abraham, obedience is a natural outpouring of our faith, right? Abraham doesn't circumcise himself and his whole household to receive salvation. He does it because he loves God and he believes in God's promises, which is a sign of his faith, right? Jesus says this, if you love me, you'll what? You'll keep my commandments, What precedes is love. What precedes is faith. For those who have faith in Jesus and love Jesus, a natural outpouring is that we strive to keep his commandments. It doesn't mean we do it perfectly. We've already seen Abram, although he has been faithfully made righteous by his belief and trust in God and God's promises, we've seen him fail multiple times already in the Abraham narrative, right? He's he's lied about who his wife is, my sister, He's slept with his wife's servant, impregnated her, and then they drove her off. Like, there's been some sin in the house of Abraham, and yet he's not made righteous by his ability to be good. He's made righteous by his faith in God and God's promises. For those in faith, what are we promised? We are promised that the righteousness of God in Christ is applied to us by grace through faith, and after that, we are promised the Holy Spirit will dwell within us. Why? To circumcise our hearts. God turns hearts of stone to flesh. He makes dead hearts come alive. He peels back the dead outer layer of our heart and reveals a new life fool beating heart that bears the fruit of God. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are the, the beautiful outworkings of saving faith. This is promised to us. And so as we come to the table this morning, we are to remember these promises. We are to remember the cost of those promises coming to fruition. We're supposed to remember the cost that it cost Jesus' very body and his blood and his life. We're not supposed to only remember the cost. We're supposed to remember what that cost bears within us. We're supposed to remember that It sustains us like food, because it is food, sustains us. 
It quenches our thirst like drinks do because it is a drink. We drink the blood and we eat the body of Jesus Christ and remember the covenant that he has made with us to forgive our sins, to make us a people, to dwell with him, and to send the Holy Spirit to write the law on our hearts. So as we come to the table, we remember these things and remember that it's not because of our works that we come to the table and feast on the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, but it's because of the effective work of Jesus in which we have faith. Let's pray.